Hey everyone, welcome to What in the Bible? Today we are going to go over the crucifixion and death of Jesus. We will be in Matthew 27, and we are only going to look at a chunk of the chapter. We will be in verses 32 through 56. Alright, let's go. Matthew 27, starting with verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now the they are the Roman soldiers, the mob, everybody following Jesus, who's carrying his cross up to be crucified. Now, Simon is from Cyrene, which is a place in Libya. So traditionally, many people believe that Simon was either black or dark skinned, and that may have been part of the reason that the Romans singled him out as, um, as a prejudiced way, saying, hey, you, you come here and you carry this man's cross. Now, for us now, we look at it as he had the greatest honor, right? But that would not have been the case then. That would have been, we believe this man is a criminal and we're going to kill him brutally for it. Why don't you carry his cross for him? So they're associating him with this criminal, okay? And the Romans had the right to do that. Remember where Jesus was all, if someone, if tells you to walk a mile, you walk too. If someone asks you for your cloak, you give them your coat too. This is what he's talking about. He was talking about the Romans where they had the right to make you do something for X amount of time. Okay. And so, but I love how God redeems that because Simon is also known as the first missionary to Africa because the story is that Simon is just there for the Passover. He has made this pilgrimage to come for the Passover, and then we'll return back home. So of course, when he goes home, he's going to tell this story of this amazing event that happened to him. Okay. All right. So verse 33, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. So the gall, if you, in Mark, it says mixed with myrrh, but this gall is the idea of a mix of herbs that are really for a, a anesthetic, okay? So they're not just offering him wine. They're, they're trying um, to dull his senses, right? They're trying to give him an anesthetic. Some people argue that if you can't feel the pain, then you'll live longer, so maybe the Romans were being unnecessarily cruel. Others argue, and I tend to agree, that they knew it was going to hurt. <laughs> and so it actually was an act of mercy on that. Um, but Jesus refused to drink it. And that's the consensus on that is he needed to have his senses with him, right? He, was, he wasn't just being crucified. He was being crucified so that he could bear the price of our sins. And so he needed to have all of his senses with him. He had to be with it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lines. So both the part about the drink and the clothing are prophesied in Psalms. Verse 36, and sitting down, they kept watch over him. 37, above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, in a different gospel, it explains that it was written in, like I think, like three different languages. But my favorite part is the religious leaders are in a huff about this. So they go back to Pilate, and they're like, you wrote that he is the king of the Jews. He's not the king of the Jews. You should have written that he claims to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate, because Pilate 
does not like these guys, right? And he could find nothing wrong with Jesus. He was very upset about this. And he was like, I already wrote it. That's what it is. Deal with it. And I love it, right? Because truth will out. All right, verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Now it's referring back to the earlier, Jesus had said that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. They literally almost killed him just for saying that. Um, for them, it was heresy. It was blasphemy. They didn't realize that he was speaking about himself. Okay. And, um, even later in, during Jesus's trial, they even bring the, this part up. Okay. Uh, come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, 41, in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others. They said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. Now that's malarkey because they had seen the the miracles. In fact, the gospels talk about how even though they watched the miracle, they would turn around and connive with each other and try to figure out how do we stop Jesus? He just did this miracle. We've got to stop him. So it isn't that they don't believe him is that they're wrapped up in the fact that Jesus has a large gathering. He has a large following and he's stealing in their eyes, his, their power, right? All right. So verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Verse 46, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. So it sounds like there was an eclipse, yeah? All right, verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, some people really twist this scripture, and they'll use it to see to say, See, God forsakes people. God will turn his back on you. All this, this type of thing. And you're wrong and right all, all at the same time on this. Because... What's going on is that Jesus put aside his deity and he's taken on humanity, right? And Jesus is without sin. So he showed us that we can live a life without sin. So he's blameless on the cross, but he has taken all of our sins on him. And what separates us from God is sin. So he is separated from God. He can't feel God. He can't hear God. Sound familiar when we do something and we're like, We have sin in our life and we're like, God doesn't talk to me. God doesn't love me. God's forsaken me. Guess I'll just go eat worms. That's the feeling, right? That Jesus is having in that moment. Now, then you have some people, they're like in this crowd, when some of those standing there, they heard this and they said, oh, he's calling for Elijah because in the Aramaic, it's Eli, 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 Jah is God, right? Eli is God. So, oh, he, he's calling for, for, for Elijah. He must not be calling for God. So 48, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. I mean, Jesus just like literally cried out, my God, you have forsaken me. And everybody's picking on him. 
it sounds as if someone is trying to do him a nice turn. So theologians kind of argue about this also, because why would he not drink at the beginning, but he would drink now? And some would say, well, he knows he's going to die. But when I read it, the first time they offer him the wine with the with with the anesthetic, right? With the drugs. And he's like, no. But this time they just offer him the wine vinegar, which is really cheap wine. And he takes it. And then the and it also fulfills the prophecy, because it does say in Psalms that he drank it. Okay. But the really interesting thing is, is that the staff, when you really look at the the, the Greek wording, it's a hyssop staff. So it's made out of hyssop. You think back into um, with the Psalms in David where he says, cleanse me with hyssop. It's not a nice process. It, it's brutalizing, right? But And that also is referring back to the Passover, and that's how what they use on the lamb. Okay, and Jesus is our Passover lamb. And even down to that point, they use a hyssop branch. I love, I love that. Okay. All right. Verse 49. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. All right. So these guys, they're just there to mock. They're like, Elijah, God, whatever. We're just, we're just going to mock you and see what happens. Verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He died. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now, the curtain it's talking about is the curtain that separates the Holy of the Holies from the rest of the temple. Only one person can go in the Holy of Holies, and that's one priest, one time a year, where he goes and makes a sacrifice to atone for the sins of all the people. Okay? You can't just walk in. It's not like some dude grabbed a ladder, walked in, was like, I'm going to cut this from the top, and they're going to think it was supernatural tricks on them. No. There's no way he would have been able to get inside at all. Also, that curtain was so thick that they say it would have taken multiple teams of oxen just to rip it. Okay? So nobody's walking in with their scissors to do this. All right. The earth shook and the rocks split. So there was an earthquake. And geologists have done some experiments and looked at the earth readings. And they do agree that in that region there was an earthquake around 31 AD, plus or minus five years. The, the geologists do say that it was not a major earthquake, that it wouldn't have made, been anything to make the, the history books. However, you would have felt it, and it would have been enough to, to freak you out if you were in the middle of it. Verse 52, and the tombs broke open. Okay, that makes sense. The earth shook, rock split, tombs break open. Okay, so there was a lot of shaking going on. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is my what in the Bible moment. Like, the bodies of many people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city, and appeared to many people. And they just kind of leave it at that. Well, the next verse is is different, is like a different subject. I have so many questions. And theologians 
definitely don't have any answers and that's okay, right? But it's, it's so, what? Like Jesus's death brought so much life. That's what I love about that too. But so where the theologians decide to debate is verse, um, between verse 52 and 53. So the, the Jesus dies and the dead people are raised to life. And they come out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. So they argue, okay, so were these guys just sitting in their tombs for three days, waiting for Jesus to be resurrected? Is it weird wording? And that really, after Jesus died, when Jesus was resurrected, they too were resurrected, and they came out of the tombs. I still think the fact that people came to life and came out of their tombs and we're walking about and talking to people should be discussed a little bit more. Like, I want to know more about the long-term impact on this. Like, if somebody was 20, did they just live out the rest of their life? Did they just disappear afterwards? Were they like Enoch? Where suddenly they were no more? Were they taken up into heaven like we see Jesus is at the end of the Gospels? What what happened? I want to, I want to know more. I, I so want to know more. And then, uh, you have some theologians, I believe it was St. Francis who argues that they weren't, that it's a analogy that when Jesus died and they were, and was resurrected, he gave life to them and that they were finally able to leave paradise and go into heaven. So it's the holy city of heaven, but that doesn't quite jive with me because it says, and appeared to many people. And I, when I look it up in the original language, that appear to many people means in person. Because I was like, okay, maybe maybe they were ghosts or maybe these people were having visions. I don't know. No, it says in person that they appeared. And I have so many questions. And now you can chew on that. All right, so verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely this was the son of God. Now I have this theory about Jesus and the centurions. I don't know what you know about centurions, but centurions is the highest office you can reach in the Roman military as a non-commissioned officer. Now later with corruption and everything, you could, you could buy your way into it. But Traditionally, you earn this, and you earn this by being the craziest, most heroic, bravest soldier there was. You were always the one out there in battle. You were the one killing the most people in the most extravagant way. You were bringing back everybody on for, who had, you know, had their legs and arms cut off. You were dragging them off the battlefield, like all of that. You, you were the hero, right? And that's how you became a centurion. And the role of the centurion, besides to lead his men and to keep unity, he went first. So a centurion never led from the back. The centurion was always the first one in battle. He was the first one through the wall. He was the first one through the ranks of the enemies. He was always the first one to break through so that others could come behind him. And I think that the centurions watched Jesus's life and they understood that he was the first one and because of him, others could follow. And I think that's why Jesus had a special relationship with centurions throughout the gospels and in Acts. It's my personal belief. 
It's not gospel, but there you go. All right. And then wrapping it up with verses 55 and 56. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show about the death and crucifixion of Jesus. I recommend that you keep reading on in Matthew so that you can have the happy ending on that. Uh, Just in case you don't know, spoiler alert, Jesus rose from the grave, right? And that's, that's, he has victory over life and death. And that's the, that's part of the good news for us. And even though there's crazy things that we don't know the answer to, we do know, and we can see even in just this snippet, how good Jesus is and how much he loves us. All right. If you guys have questions or comments, feel free to hit me up. If you have a verse or a Bible story that you want to hear on what in the Bible, send me an email. It's thearchaeologynerd at gmail.com. Have a great day, guys.